Welcome to Big Ideas, Bringing Science to Life, a new podcast aimed at discussing how to create the big ideas and collaborative initiatives that can move the needle on the challenges faced in our world today, and in particular, how to raise funds for them. I'm your host, Venancio Batista Pedro from Advancement Resources, and joining me for this episode are Scott Arthur and Jim Hodge. Scott is Vice Chancellor for Advancement at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Jim has 43 years of experience in philanthropy, 30 years inspiring remarkable gifts of significance at Mayo Clinic, and now 13 years at the University of Colorado Anschutz, where Scott brought him in as Chief Strategist. Together, they have pioneered innovative ways of approaching the work of advancement, and personally, they're deeply committed to helping everyone around them find more meaning and more purpose in their work and in their lives. That obviously includes benefactors, but also their team members, their medical staff and administrative colleagues, and their external friends and partners like myself. Before recording, I discussed with Jim and Scott what they wanted to talk about first, what was truly foundational for their success, and that is vital to anyone looking to elevate gifts of significance at their institution the way that they've been able to at the University of Colorado Anschutz. They said it begins with values. In this episode, we cover how do you identify your institutional values? How do you operationalize them and make them foundational to connecting with benefactors? We also discuss what that means for building and managing your internal team. I hope you find the following conversation as fun and inspiring as I did. Please do hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss any future episodes. Without further ado, here's me asking the opening question. So the first topic we have is about values. What if big ideas, gifts of significance, were all about values alignment? So these are the foundational values of big ideas philanthropy. The first question to to kick off there is about how can organizations identify those core values? How can they look at themselves and and kind of find what's going to be meaningful for them and their purpose for effective philanthropy? I know that's a big question and big topic, and you guys probably talk on it for ages. So wherever you want to start there, that would be amazing. Yeah, so... I think there's two things, and and I'm going to talk about the internal values of an organization and why that is really important. I think Hodge could speak to value alignment with the benefactor, right? And so I think that's I think that's something that he has done better than most um, in his career, and 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 listening to values. And so, but I think. Um, I think I'll start with the the internal team values and then how that might manifest itself into benefactor interaction and Hodge can can speak to that. We we talked about like this whole notion of just performance and outcome-based metrics. And um, there's a lot of folks that have two or three pages of metrics. And so I think what happens sometimes in in you know I, I'm in this position as the vice chancellor at, at CU Institutes is you want to make sure that if you don't hit your goals, you can show people that your team is, is at least doing the work. And so sometimes it has to do with just scarcity and fear of the leader. And I'm not judging people that that are doing that because I have fear and anxiety. And, and what I've learned is is when there is that. Um, looking over your shoulder constantly, there there seems to be a lack of trust. And so when there's a lack of trust and there seems to be some scarcity around where we are, 
as an as a team, that is just not fertile ground <laughs> for philanthropy to grow. Um, and I think the benefactors feel it, yeah. right? And so, you know, we created some values eight years ago internally. You know, we we decided that we wanted to create something that was different. And about all of those values, nine years later, are pretty much there. There are there are strategies to values based organizations, top down or bottom up, and I, I I contend that both type of strategies can work. If it's top down, like this is where we're going, you're you're either with us or you're not. Only works if you role model the values as a leadership team, right? If you don't role model them, that doesn't really work, right? Um, you know, bottom up, I'm totally fine with that. For us, we had a mandate of change and a change yeah. quickly from the chancellor. So these were our values. And and so, and then it, it changed the way that we structured stuff. Um, it changed the way that we measured success. Um, it changed literally the way we evaluate individuals, our, our how team. they show up based on uh, collective value. More Is that where you started? If you really want to get to it, I mean, so like how we how we did the value our process on that, it was it was out of fear. Um, I I called Hodge. I got this job. Then I I got this job. Um, I was thirty five years old. Um, I had I had raised fourteen million dollars total in my career. I was moving into a team of you know forty people. Um, raising around 75 to $80 million a year, I was in over my head. And Hodge um, wanted to move to Colorado at some point. And Hodge had a way with benefactors that, um, you know, maybe colored outside the lines a little bit on, on how people approach philanthropy. And I just called him and said, hey, I got this job. I know you wanted to move to Colorado wonder if we created a team that the way you approach philanthropy was the rule and not the exception to the rule. And then I got frightened because, you know, when you work for the world famous Mayo Clinic for 30 years, you think, can is it the clinic, Mayo Clinic, or was it the way I practiced in philanthropy? So it really was like a mantle or a stress on me to see, will this work for everyone and everything? And can we align the directions in, in uh, I don't know if it's a new way, but it's a rare way of deeply considering a co-creation with benefactors around ideas. So the idea Yeah. So the idea was if we create an inspirational working environment, I, we believe that the the benefactor will feel that as well, and they'll want to join it, right? And as a joke, people called us the boys of joy. Our team is still called Team Joy. It sounds silly, but there's something about it that there's a feeling around the Seaman Shoots campus, right, of this abundant mentality. So our values are benefactor-centric, right? So it's our number one value, right? And so it's, it's around that there's a hole in people's heart that can only be filled by generosity and service. And if you listen to how benefactors want to cre create a difference in the world, 
it's going to be a better experience for them. And it's going to be a better experience for your institution, right? And so how do you operationalize that? Well, we actually talk to our development officers that you're not showing up with one pagers or campaigns or brochures on, vi on visits. You are listening first. So how we train our, our development officers has been impacted by that value. And right? I'll give you another, I'll give you another value is excellence, not perfection, right? We talked about this is that when you are successful as a philanthropy team, everybody knows. When you're not, yeah, everybody, everybody knows. knows, right? And it's one of those things, if you think about it, in higher ed and medical environments, where it is pretty binary. It's it's black and white. Did you raise money, yes or no, right? You know, with teaching did and research. Hit, did you hit the goal? Did you hit the goal, yes or no, right? It is, and, and so, and again, like we're not, we're not complaining about that, right? I think we have to claim that reality, right? And so that's high stakes. But because of that, you're in rooms with, very high level people in the university. You're with benefactors that are self-actualized, are very uber successful, and you don't want to make a mistake, right? And so one of our values is excellence, not perfection, meaning you're going to make a mistake. You're going to ask for the wrong amount. You're not going to get that gift, you know, 40 or 50% of the time. And so what we try to do then, so how do you operationalize that value of excellence, not perfection is we celebrate the conversation. We celebrate the conversation, right? And then if the gift comes, that's great. And we celebrate it, but it's about, and if it doesn't come in, we celebrate the fact that we had the courage to have it, right? And so Hodge, maybe you could speak to this whole shift here and here from openings versus closings, because I think that was a shift for me when you first got here, because I just wanted to raise money. And I think that's what uh, some of our metrics dr driven, meaning outcome, outcome, outcome. That's uh, what arises all the time and that feeling is around all the time. Um, I think it's, I, I think it's key. And uh, uh, Scott has mentioned in the past, a lot of people when you visit benefactors, they come with that one pager that Scott's talking about. And you sit down with the benefactor, and as soon as it comes out of the briefcase or the folder, there's a sense of, of selling, of, of deliberately selling. And so by eliminating it, just like you said, by eliminating that, and you come thoughtfully equipped with questions that you would ask somebody you've just met, or maybe you're in a longer term relationship, because there's a difference between an acquaintance, a friend and a soulmate. And so respectful question, you don't ask uh, soulmate questions of acquaintances. So you begin to develop your own personal library of questions that, that are are comfortable for the development officer, <laughs> and we'll come back to that sometime, but that that are a little bit of a stretch. And, and we actually, you know, we ask questions about what brought them to the organization, what resonates well with them, what can we do better? 
Why do you keep coming back? Uh, right? I mean, these are the questions. Because what happens, and there might be some communications folks that are listening to this, is your development officers want that perfect one pager before they pick up the phone or before what's our case or I don't have that case. I don't have that thing that's going to make me successful. Well, when you, when part of the training is not having that thing, right? It makes it where there's really no reason why people can't have visits. The other shift that has really helped is for me is, and this is, this is, it might be a little radical, but when you are meeting with benefactors, it's not about your organization and how great your organization is and how it's a worthy investment. It's about their values and how their values can be perpetuated through, through it, which is key through your, your organization. organization. Right. And so I think that's a, you know, and so people are really saying, how can we be investment worthy? What's our differentiator? What can we, and, and, and it's really, you take a step back and say, what do they want to accomplish? And how can our organization help them accomplish that? And we might not be the right organization to accomplish that. Yeah. Because what a, the question we hear all the time, wait a minute, you're, your your benefactor centric. I mean, that means you'll go anywhere benefactors want to go. You'll take any gift or anything. (laughs) The answer is no. We we have to have a little dualistic thinking here because to maximize what they want to accomplish, we do have to bring the organization's best talents and abilities and, and where we can make an impact as fast as humanly possible on our mission and our vision. So it's a blend. But if you don't sit and understand the benefactor, how their family makes decisions, what's been most meaningful? And we spend a lot of time. Who mentored them when they most needed a mentor? Could could be parents, could be the one teacher. And by the way, when you ask that question, then you follow up with a question about, so have you kept in touch? So many times I say, you know, not really. Yeah. And they send a note. It's amazing. And so now you're in an arena of gratitude and, and contemplation about we didn't get here alone. So, mm-hmm. so it's a whole different level of, of conversation and it's completely value based. Well, that, so we're talking about alignment, really, just to, put it yeah. in a sentence. So we're aligning the organization values with the donor values. And you talked through a little example of how that, that might happen. But um, And that needs to come before aligning the donor to a, what the actual uh, opportunity is. And, you know, in sorting out the details there, that values alignment has to come first. So it strikes me as sometimes that'll be easy and it'll be clear, but then other times it'll be clear that it's a no and they should go somewhere else but what happens when it's in the middle what do you guys have any strategies for there might be something here do these values align how do you work through that yep yeah so we um we're going through that right now right so so Hodge has described this and this is at the top of the pyramid we're not suggesting that people do this for 
and I'm not saying that a hundred dollar gift is not as gives a significance. It is. I, I I just think just practically speaking that we we believe that 98% of your income comes from 2% of your benefactors. And I think the people listening here, if development officers are listening here, they know there are three or four gifts from having a great conversation. So we're talking about those three or four gifts. Right. And that, if you don't if you don't mind, yeah, we please. not only believe it. <laughs> We're not metrics heavy, but we're sure data heavy. Yep. And so we know it. <laughs> we know, right? And so and so really it's about 20 or 30 conversations a year. And so what we have created on those 20 to 30 that really will move the needle for the organization, it's an outside in approach versus an inside out. Inside out approach is we're going to do a strategic plan. We're going to create pillars of excellence within those strategic plans. And then we're going to tell development, go sell on those strategic yeah. priorities, right? And we have needs. We have needs. You have money. And we need to do that. And so the outside in approach is understanding where they want to go. Right. And so you and, and then you go to leadership to say, we have an opportunity. We, we we I have no idea what this gift could be, but they're open to a big idea around immune modulation. And um would love just to hear from you. And this is usually our leadership. Who would you like around the table for us to create something for they, them, the leadership to react to, right? So now we're having an ideation with our, our faculty members and then our chancellor and our, our chancellor is our first benefactor. They approve the, perfo- the, 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 the proposal before we, before we continue the conversation with the benefactor. But remember, it starts with the benefactor. I'm interested in this space. And then you go, right? And then that is the beauty of the work of what's a value for them versus us to get really tactical a lot. I'm sure the listeners here, it would be great if they just gave a hundred million dollar endowment. Well, a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to do endowment, right? And so, you know, you've got to show them like, I hear that. I don't know if they're there. And they're more into rocket fuel and getting things done now, right? So what? Did, how does that change this conversation? Um, so to Jim's point, we're not benefactor centric if it has nothing to do with what we're going to do. And we're what we. But what we do though is we we start with the benefactor. I don't know if people here that are listening. You know, nothing is worse than getting a lot of faculty and leaders excited about big ideas, and then there's no benefactor there to support it. Wouldn't it be fun to first have the permission from the benefactor to say, yeah, I'd be interested in regenerative medicine, or I'd be interested in curing age-related macrodegeneration, or I'd be really interested in Alzheimer's and getting a biomarker for, for, uh, for Alzheimer's. Understanding that on the front end is really helpful in the process of understanding their values. It's like what Michael Dell did with Dell Computers. What type of computer does our computer, do our customers want? And then let's create and send that to them, right? What type of impact do our benefactors yeah. want? And then let's Outside create, in. let's create a, yeah. a narrative that it's about them and their values, not about us. And Venancio, I, because so much of this work is around uh, subtleties, I don't want to give the impression that we ask and then we completely follow. You, you, you've used the word of alignment. What we do is we go back and we mine the organization for the best ideas. And, and so it's our responsibility when we come back is, is to 
to put out ideas that we're pretty darn sure will be compelling and interesting to them. Uh, so we'll use a term and we, I, I, I occasionally think it's uh, a little pretentious, but we firmly believe that this work at its highest level is helping people write their moral biographies through philanthropy. And once you take that track, you're very interested because you know, we know from decades of research that caring and sharing and giving uh, writ large, not just in philanthropy, helps with your emotional well-being, your sense of well-being. Purpose. You're, now they're into blood pressure, maybe longevity. So it, it, it's a matter of quality of life. And I, I get the airy-fairy visionary word sometime. But I have watched through 43 years people who are role models in business who become soul models through their philanthropy. And that's when you hear, this might be the most important thing I've done in my life. And that's why this is the most noble profession when practiced nobly. It, and, and there is a different way. And, and, and so I'll give you one more example of this whole notion of operationalizing values, right? So, so I'll just, but the last five, we have five values. I'm just going to go through our third one is customer service. And our customers are each other first, our benefactors and our faculty. So what does that mean? So we have a retreat twice a year, right? Um, and we have a staff retreat and the teams, our communications team, stewardship team, our development officers, our development assistants, right? They present what success is for them, right? This is how to partner with us to make us successful as a team, right? And then... I asked everyone, does everyone understand how to make our development assistance successful, right? Does everyone understand the importance of helping the communication teams with the strategy of, of the proposal, bringing in content of the proposals? Does everyone understand that that's what they need to be successful? And everyone says yes, right? So now we have, we know, and so now your, your, your job is making each other successful. And at the end, I talk about what the chancellor wants me to do, right? And, and what my goals are, right? And, 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 and how I think this team can work together to achieve those goals. And so at the end, I ask them, will you help me be successful, right? And so it is, and what happens then is, you know, people start to understand, um, the, the the gaps that they are they are unintentionally creating and partnering with people within the team, right? Um, and it's just part of our process now, where we go through it, and then at the end we we have like a list of ways to interact with our stewardship team and best practice, ways to interact with our communications team that is best practice, right? And then because we're we're a pretty lean team. And we're pretty matrixes, and and that can create an amazing, beautiful mosaic, or not. And, and uh, by knowing 
what's the best practice? And that, that, that of course, relates to process. We think in our work, we should, <laughs> we should be uh, practiced best practice, continuous best evidence-based kind of practice, meaning what works for the benefactor, the institution, etc. So uh, this is this is foundational for us. I mean, and, and so like another operationalize, right? This is training that we do with our managers. All right. Okay. This is literally training that we just did last week, right? Um, development officer is not meeting their goals, right? Um, and we can, we can talk about what our metrics are at a different time because we're not anti-metrics. We're anti a thousand metrics because people spend so much time trying to check so many boxes that the meaningful work is lost. Um, let's just say they're just not like doing well. Um, what we train our managers is, and this is really Hodge, um, teaching us, um, it's, are you okay? Right. You just look at them. Are you okay? Because, you know, the, the circle, you know, work is one little dot in their life and people don't understand that you know there's a lot going on here and here that have nothing to do with work right are you okay and they're going to talk right and then the next question is are we are we okay are there things that are we okay i need to do to be of assistance to lift to to uh to serve you i know you want to be successful here. I know. And what am I not doing as a manager to create an environment for that? How can I help you? Right. And so that's how you start these crucial conversations with people that maybe aren't hitting the mark. Right. And then those conversations become more direct if things don't shift because people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. That's John Maxwell, huge listeners here. If you don't know John Maxwell, huge believer in what he does. John Maxwell, Brene Brown, Simon Sinek, um, and um, Henry Cloud boundaries. I, Dr. Henry Cloud, I, I think those are pretty, pretty great. And then you've kind of touched on my next question. My follow-up question was going to be about how do you uh, use values in the hiring and the firing that's kind of big, team decisions that you have to do about building a team because I'm sure there may be some people listening right now who are inspired. They, they would like to adopt this approach, but they might be in a situation where, you know, they put these, determine the values, they put them out there uh, and there may be conflict. Some people may not buy into the values. Can you talk a bit about that? Maybe share a story of a yes. difficult example that you've worked through? Yes. It's hard. That's why people don't do it. Right, it is hard, yeah. and just because it's hard doesn't make it wrong, right? So that's what it. And so, I, I if there are managers listening here, I'm gonna guess that eighty percent of your time isn't around if they're hitting their goals or not, right? Because they're everyone's so minute, like just boom, they're just so focused on this. What you're dealing with, I think, a lot of the time is how your teams are showing up and their interaction with other team members and their interactions with faculty. And this whole, and I love Simon Sinek, this shift of soft skills 
versus essential skills, right? Because this, like, we talk about soft skills, like they are just soft skills. It's essential skills. And here's the pushback that leaders are going to get from people that are being managed toward values. One, it's subjective, right? You're, you're, how I'm showing up, that's just your opinion, right? You're, right? you're telling me to change my character or my personality. personality. Those, those are direct true. things we've experienced. This is where, you know, right? And so, and so what we try to do is when there are value violations, we've got to talk about them. So how we operationalize that is there are two meetings per month where we talk about their metrics, which are, you know, we have, we only have three. <laughs> we can get to that later. But then the second meeting is around values. And the questions are, how have you shown up the past month? More importantly, how have you seen other people show up in our values? Okay. And so, you know, there's a lot of this research around, you know, um, positive, you know, coaching, you know, your strength-based coaching, where you're just talking about strengths and then you, you don't even talk about, you, you really want to show the strength and not talk about the weaknesses. I'm a little bit in the middle, but I do like this whole notion of strength-based because what happens is when they start sharing how other people are, are showing up, right? That means they're teaching their manager what they have seen. When, when you teach it, you start to own it. Then what happens, those managers shoot me an email to say, Scott, can you call this person about how they showed up on their values? And then I call those employees to say, hey, I want you to know that Carrie was in this va her values meeting and she really shouted you out because you went above and beyond. And here are the three values that she saw in you. And I just want to say thank you, right? And then what starts to happen is people are just happier. And then, and then there is, and, and Jahad just said this to me, some will not be converted. And that's okay. Yeah. That is okay. And so we have had hard conversations with people that in other organizations, they would be not, not only be um, applauded, but they would be promoted because of their hard metrics but because they show up in a way that doesn't work with our values, they're not. And they get really upset with us, right? But then we say, but at least we're transparent. We've said that 60% of our evaluations are values-based, 40% are, you know, metrics-based. This, it seems to me that there's not a value fit here, you know? And so what starts to happen is they get pretty angry and then Hodge, you know, has taught us, you know, how are things going? How are you feeling being here? Yeah. Is this working for you? And many people say, well, not, not really, you know, uh, it, it's not. Uh, but the, when you operate, operationalize values and when you know what people need and want to 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 be at their best, then you get shorter and shorter feedback loops. Um, if we see a, 
you know, a value violation, particularly like in a public setting, uh, we'll just say, you got a second afterward, yep. afterwards, afterwards, meaning right afterwards in a private, because we do believe in praising publicly and criticizing privately, but we'll have those conversations. So no one, I think I can say, Scott leads an organization, no one's ever surprised that they get a tough evaluation at the end of the year because they've had 12 values-based conversations. So, I mean, to make it real, right? I'm sure people around that are listening to this, I'm sure they don't have this issue in their organizations, but we did. It was called gossip. Don't know if they've heard of it. Um, and um, gossip is something that um, one of our values is positive energy, right? And 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 we believe positive energy is 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 contagious, and so is negative energy, right? And and listeners here, I mean, if you know the drama. Um, and everyone goes to you um, to complain about things. The problem is you. You're a safe place for negativity to stir, right? Now, again, with positive energy, we're not saying that we're Pollyanna, right? But what positive energy and how you operationalize positive energy is when there's a problem, you go to your manager with a solution. People here, people listening here that are early in their careers or, or, you know, how do I become a quote leader? Come to meetings with solutions because we can talk about problems till we're blue in the face and we can be, they can drag you down, right? That's that negative problems, problems. If you acknowledge the problem, right? Again, what did your mom say about problems? We don't deny. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't deny that there are difficulties, problems, and challenges in life. We go through life despite difficulties, problems, and challenges in yeah. life. And and that's an approach. And I, I want to piggyback on what you said, Scott, because two of my finest leaders that I reported to said exactly what Scott said. Uh, I'm not a place that you come up to my desk and you... I'll just be polite, lay a, 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 a problem on my desk and leave. This is not my function as a, as a leader. So problem identification is very, very important. That's good. Yeah, we can't solve problems. And, and then I'm, yeah, there, this desk is not where you dump your problems. It's where we become more aspirational and, and think about outcomes that are better for the organization. So coming with solutions. So I am telling you, they will notice immediately. Yeah. This person comes to solve problems. This person, vice presidents and pre directors. Oh, yeah. And then, and then what starts to happen is when you start doing that and you actually start solving problems, guess what? They're going to give you more problems. <laughs> and that is called career growth, right? When you, unless it's just. No, I, honestly, same old, same old with a lot of problems. I'm just teasing. No, it's, it's like, it's like when you want to be promoted, forget about fundraising for a second. If you want to be promoted and you want to have more responsibility, what you are saying yeah. is that I'm ready to handle more complex problems, right? When you're a development officer, your issue is you and your portfolio and making sure that you have your gift conversations right. And it's around you. 
When you become a manager, it's about them and you handling their problems and supporting them. And a, a beautiful thing, if this is practiced consistently throughout your career, and I'll stick in the, the lane of philanthropy, the more you show up like this, the more you show a strategic approach to not only philanthropy, but other things going on in an institution, you become an inner circle part of a strategic team, or they pick up the phone and call you. It's not just, we call for answers, like how much did you raise or, or what have you like that. It, it begins to be a, a reflective place with your leadership. And so, and so this is where we have pink flags, not red flags, is, is around apathy. You don't understand my leader. You don't understand my culture. You don't understand my metrics. You know, of course, it's and it's all these reasons why it won't work. So those of you listening here, like, we well, don't understand. But by definition, if your culture isn't strong, you're a part of the team. You're a part of the problem, right? And so, and so how as an either an influencer or with someone that has real authority or those that have influential authority, are you causing or allowing these problems? Because you're doing one of the one of them. You're either causing them. That's what Henry Cloud talks about with boundaries. You're either causing problems or you're allowing problems. Which one are you doing? Right? And so you're allowing, well, you don't understand my manager. They're, they're just so negative. But you can own your reaction to that. You can. Yeah. And you can, you can, you can practice in a way that you feel is foundational to your own value system. You you really can. Now, do you have to engage benefactors and ask them to be involved and provide a one quarter scholarship? Well, sure, that's fun. And, and then we get to meet students. In other words, we bring them into something we have already said, we believe is good for their mental and physical health. They're certainly, uh, people talk about it, it in a sense of spiritually rewarding to them. So we're inviting you to do, and that's the word, we're inviting. We're not asking so much. We're saying, this. we're going here, and we will get there. It, it may take, Scott Offit says, it may take 8, 12 years to get there, and philanthropy is an accelerant in this regard. But we think that walk you'll find rewarding. We almost guarantee, I almost guaranteed the walk would be the reward. And so it's all part of what we're talking about benefactor centric. If you think about, if you think about internally with your team, we've talked about the positive energy around creating solutions, right? You talk about you know, benefactor centric, and you talk about excellence, not perfection. What starts to happen is you have a mentality of possibility internal. And then it shifts what is, I think, an essential shifts for those three to 20 gifts a year that just really make or break your year is moving then from, 
from needs-based, project-based philanthropy to what Jim was just talking about, to vision-based, aspirational, this is where we're going. We call it leadership, uh, horizon makers, this literally. Is, yep. <laughs> and that's what leaders do, say, well, we're basically going west. They set the vision on a compass, and then it's up to managers and development officers to make maps. Uh, That's right. So, so remember, the development officer, where's the compass with the benefactor? Where's the direction? Right? But Jim's right. The map the, to get it there, that is the responsibility of the institution, right? And it's the responsibility of the institution to make sure that that's the map they want to go on, right? But I think that shift, you know, vision-based fundraising, the programmatic, and I, I hear... I can imagine we, we, we talk about this a lot around the country. There's people listening here is, well, you don't understand my leader, right? They want to, their vision is they want a chair. Yeah. I want a chair. I want a chair. For me. For me. I mean, those of you listening, I'm sure you've heard that, right? That's how people give a chair, right? It's not why people give. And so when you have people talking about, I want a chair for me, Hodge has really showed us the power of why, where you, when they ask, I want a chair, you say, well, why is that important? And they say, well, I want to recruit somebody. Well, why is that recruit important? Hmm. Well, they say, well, because I'm a clinician and I have some ideas about this disease type, but I need to know if there's some science behind this idea. So I need to recruit someone to, to help me validate this idea. But why is that idea important? Well, because in this specific state, in this cancer, it's really 90% fatal, but I've gotten some early things happening here where I, you know, 10% of those 90%, if they do it this way, I've got some pretty good outcomes. And so I want to understand why. So, so then I said, so you're really wanting to create a translational bridge to really eradicate pain and suffering for these families and where they want to go. That's, that's the vision. And the, and, and, the, and and a benefactor will say, well, if a chair is what needs to happen to make that happen, I'm all in. But I don't want a chair. In fact, you're very good. Yeah. You're very good at saying one chair. Yeah. Spinning off 4%, $2 million, 80000 a year, that'll get you there. Yeah. And then say, no. It won't. So the idea is... So instead of a Not chair, falsely get a narrative that's more money, but it actually is, will that do it? Will it will take us here? You get and there. So then you move from a chair being a part of yeah. the conversation, but it's really about a recruitment package that a chair will get people here, but it's not enough to move the needle. They need dream money. They need rocket fuel, Right to be able to dream bigger than ever thought possible. And that's the role of philanthropists. Let's give you some resources that's not as restricted as NIH or university funds where you can actually just dream. It's beautiful. And I got one more question to kind of wrap up this discussion about values. We talked about from the donor perspective, the moral biographies, I love that by the way, compared to talking about your legacy, talking about your moral biography, 
it, that resonates with me deeply. Like I'd be way more interested in that. So but we can see that you've talked about the team working on a team of joy, um, being aligned with the values. So for your team, I think that's pretty clear to me. It sounds like who wouldn't want to work on a team of joy. You said, Jim, you thought it might be a bit hokey, but really, who doesn't want to work on a team of joy? Come on. So you got those two angles. And my last question to wrap this up is a personal one. So it's about for you two, personally, professionally, can you paint the picture for our listeners who aren't there yet, what it means to you to be involved with these gifts of significance and maybe even more importantly, building this team team of joy. Can you just talk a bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'll start with a story, right? I, 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 I like fundraising. I don't love it. Right. It's, it's just, I think the call that, you know, I've done executive coaching, I've done therapy, you, you name it. Um, you know, this whole self-reflection, right? And my executive coach gave me this, this piece of advice and listeners here, I think this may resonate and, 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 and but really take some time. Like I, when my coach asked me this, it took me six months to really, really understand it. And here it is. Listeners, 85% of what you do, anyone can do. 10% of what you do in your, in your job, if you train somebody to do it, they'll do it just as good as you. But there's 5% that's just you, right? And the joy that I have found is how do you, first as a leader, or you personally, for me, what is that 5% and how you know you're living your 5%? It's when you're in a situations at work where you're in the flow and you think to yourself, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. And really, the challenge for you then is to make sure that you're in that flow space 51% of the time, right? Now, 49% is called work, right? It's called the contact reports. It's called portfolio management. It's called whatever it is, right? That's what you get paid to do, right? So you're going to have to be excellent at all of that. But man, if you can find that sweet spot, and so as a leader, the thing that I've got the most joy is, is understanding my own 5%, but then challenging my team to figure out what their 5% is. Because then we can start to say, okay, what can we start empowering your other team's members where you can focus on your 5%, right? And so, um, and that has been a really, it's helped me with my burnout. And my 5% is more of the high value proposition for the organization. And so what, what's been really humbling for me is just seeing the growth of our team looking inward about what their purpose is and what their gift to the organization is and how do we align incentives and calendars to align with that and knowing the reality that you know, we call it, you got to do the laundry, right? <laughs> there is some parts of the work that is the work, right? That That isn't that 5%. But man, if we can get, you know, more than not that sweet spot, man, it's a, it's a special place. And I think exactly what you're talking about, you're, you're part of watching people become, you know, 
better angels of themselves. Love that. And it's the same with benefactors. We get to, to ride along with the great good that these individuals coupled with your organization can accomplish. And you stay in it long enough, you see many beautiful things. So whether it's, you call it Velcroing or surfing after, you're part of watching, and it's a word I don't use very often, a transformation in the way individuals approach their lives and, and see and, and, and the lives of others and the work. And so I guess in a way we are mining for a more, more uh, joyful way of work uh, because when benefactors experience joy, what do they want to do, Scott? I mean, they want to experience it again and again and again. Yeah. Right. And and we don't do family therapy, Venancio, but we we have found where it does work at home and with others. Uh and we say we don't do family therapy, but what we've found is it's not about changing your personality necessarily, but it is about following the values when we are together as a team you know to put it bluntly no these are our values this is how you show up when we're paying you yeah and then you can go home and be whatever kind of character you care to yeah. be in the world but and we hope you take a little bit home so listeners here you know if you're an individual contributor my first piece of advice is to connect your work to a greater why okay. so for us we are transforming healthcare in Colorado and beyond. That is our why. Like everyone understands that that is our essential why. How we do that is fundraising, right? That's the how, right? There's a story that, that Hodge and I love around Mayo Clinic. Man, they, they just knew culture. They just did. And there was a there was a director that was doing a documentary and he wanted to interview some patients to understand their patient experience right and so he went into this patient's room and and you know unannounced and said hey do you mind if i but approved approved yeah <laughs> you know, but do you mind if i interview you and and just ask you about your your patient experience and and the patient went on and on and on and on and on right it was it was it was awesome right so he's loving it right he's he's, he's uh cleaning up his gear right and they're about to leave and and they see this, this custodian just going to town in the bathroom, like cleaning, like sweating, like really cleaning this bathroom. And, and they're just, it's, it's just a, they're just about to leave. And he said, Hey, what, what, what are you doing? And she said, I'm saving lives. And he goes, what? And she says, yeah, I'm saving lives. I said, she said, the, lead, the leading cause of death post-operative care is infection. And this is my patient. And I've got to make sure that my patient is safe, right? So, so those of you that are sitting here thinking you can't find a why for what you're doing, whether it's data entry or whether it's doing contact reports or a development of assistant or a frontline fundraiser, if that person can connect themselves to something bigger than themselves, you can too. Well said. You can feel that. 
ended on there, but I'll tell you the backstory. It was supposed to end with a comments from the CEO. And the CEO says to me, well, it ain't going to wrap up with me. That's the end of the story. And it was. Of the values of Mayo Clinic. And it was. That was the wrap. Is leaders that are here on the call. This whole values-based work environment, this whole idea of work-life balance is really work-life integration. That's the future. And these, the, the people just starting their careers, this is even more important. You, you want to, you want to stop the turnover. You want to stop, you know, it's around creating an environment where people feel connected to something bigger than themselves. That is not, it's not only the smart thing to do, it's the right thing to do. And with this generation, which I believe could save this world, <laughs> the, 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 just entering the workforce, it's our responsibility to create an environment for them to feel something bigger than themselves because they're going to be happier. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, all we ask is that you share it with anyone who you think would get value from it. And please leave us a review. Um, also, please check out our YouTube channel where we'll be posting outtakes from the show. Um, from this episode, there's going to be about 10 minutes of warm-up conversation where I ask Jim and Scott what they've learned about themselves recently and how they personally cope with stress. For any questions or to be considered as a guest on a future episode, please email bigideas at advancementresources.org. We'd love to hear from you and we'll have some relevant links and stuff in the description of the podcast. So please check that out as well. And thank you so much.